Get out your little handout. Mine is like so full of notes that it's crazy. So hopefully I can follow them because I've written and written and written on mine. But we're going to talk today about a really practical, powerful teaching about what to do when fear attacks. Last week we looked at the parallel um, spiritual forces of faith and fear. Faith is believing in God. Fear is the enemy's trickery, deception, that is very much like faith in the opposite sense. And we're going to look today at how to fight fear, get rid of it, kick it out. First thing I want to do is I want to look at a scripture, an example of Jesus and what he did. And this scripture is Luke chapter 8. This is not on your um, paper, so you might want to add it to the top. Luke 8. This is our Jesus. One of those stories I was just talking about. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitudes welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Okay, now we're going to shift to another story. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed in any way by, by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We're going to continue the story in a second, but I want to stop here for a minute because this woman, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. There is so much teaching that we could do in this, in the scripture, which I'm not going to do now. But what I want to do, look at is this woman's faith. Faith receives faith says, oh, Jesus, I know you are the healer. Faith reaches out and receives, believes and receives. And that's what this woman did. She said, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be healed. She believed and she received. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. So here is our Jesus. The man just got the worst possible report you could ever get. And Jesus didn't say, well, I'm sorry, or, you know, that's too late. Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. He told the man, don't let fear stop your believing don't let fear get in the way even though this is the worst case scenario we said don't fear only believe faith is believing he said don't fear have faith when he came into the house he permitted no one to go in except peter james and john and the father and mother of the girl why yes Yes, he didn't want unbelief. He wanted believers. It'd be hard to believe for that one. But the people that love that little girl the most were going to do their darndest to believe. The other people probably wouldn't. But the mother and father would. And his apostles would. They'd seen Jesus the healer. They knew his, his, um, his, um, what he could do. They knew his capabilities. They knew he was the son of God. Now all wept and mourned for her. And he said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. Another good reason not to invite them in. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, 
saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. Tonight we're going to talk about many of the things that Jesus did in this scripture to help that man to believe so that he could believe against all odds and receive the most amazing miracle of all. Before we go into the teaching, I want to share mini, mini bit of my testimony. And then I'm going to kind of weave it into this teaching. Um, you all know I was healed of cancer 11 years ago. But three years ago, two and a half to three years ago, I had another attack of the enemy. And um, I went in for my regular um, physical exam, and they found a mass in my throat. When I was originally diagnosed with cancer, I had cancer in the lymph nodes in my neck and in my diaphragm and in my abdomen and in my groin and all over the place in my whole trunk of my body. So when they found a lump in my throat, fear attacked me. And the enemy did his darndest to, to get me to buy it. Um, many, many people during that season came to this healing class that were having issues with cancer of the throat, oral cancer, um, lymph nodes, lymphoma, all sorts of stuff in that same vicinity. And we, when you hear stuff like that, it adds to the fear. So I was fighting fear big time. Now, that's all I'm going to tell you right now. I, I didn't have cancer. I was completely fine. But I'm going to just weave what I did during that season into this teaching. So the first thing, number one, and this is where you're on your sheet now. Number one, to fear-proof your lives, trust God. Now, that is two words. But what we're going to talk about, there are practical steps that you can take to trust God. And the first one is the theme of tonight. And that is to know his love, to receive his love. God placed his perfect love in us when we were born again. It's his love within us that defeats fear. You conquer fear by receiving the love of the Father. Would you please turn with me in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4. This morning... Oh, my goodness. Yesterday and this morning, I've just been meditating on the scripture. And God is just wowing me once again, even more, starting with verse 16. We're talking about the love of God, no, personally knowing the love of God as a way to fight fear. And we know, verse 16, and we know understand, recognize, are conscious of by observation and by experience and believe, adhere to and put faith in and rely on the love of God, the love that God cherishes for us. God is love and he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God and God dwells and continues in him. In this union and communion with him, love is brought to completion and attains perfection with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him, because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18, there's no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thoughts of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. Okay, I want to go back and just take a minute to soak in this, to meditate on it a little bit with you. Verse 16 and 17 talk about knowing through experience. God's love. It talks about the union and communion with him, being in relationship with him. As I was reading this, um, the, the heading of the New King James in this part is called the consummation of love. And as I was reading that, I was, 
I was, I was thinking of the word consummation and um, in the natural sense and consummation in the spiritual sense. And the consummation of love is that union with God, that holy union. And when I say holy, I don't even mean in a reverential sense where God is so holy and, and I'm his daughter, although that's true. But what I'm talking about is an intimate, close union with him. That's the love of God and my love together being consummated like the love of a husband and wife being consummated in union and in communion together. And this is the cool thing. The consummation of love of the Father is the birthplace of faith. Just like the consummation of a marriage produces the birth of children out of their love. The consummation of love with the Father is where faith is birthed because you know his love for you. In verse 18 of the scripture, it talks about there's no fear in love. In the, in the traditional um, translation, in the New King James, it says, perfect love casts out fear. And it does. God's love is perfect. His love literally casts out fear. Now, when I had that, that growth in my neck, this is one of the, the biggest actions that I took to fight fear. And it was to meditate on God's love for me and to speak out loud of his love for me. I remember waking up a lot at night. That's when fear would really attack me. And when I was laying in bed in the dark and it was quiet and I, you know, I couldn't go back to sleep and that fear was just in my heart, I would just start speaking about his love for me and meditating on his love for me, declaring his love for me. And the fear would leave. It was like there was just something washing out that junk, that fear, that yuck out of me. And I would have peace. And I would go back to sleep. That was one of the things I did to fight fear, was receive his love. The biggest part of being in a position to receive his love is having relationship with him. And I don't have time to teach on relationship. But if you want to talk to any of us, any of the team about, well, how do I get to that place? How do I get to a place of relationship? Ask any one of us and we'll, we'll give you some, some guidelines, which are very minimal, like spend time with God every day. <laughs> Read the Bible. Um, so receive his love. The next scripture I'd like to go to is Proverbs 3, verse 5. Proverbs 3, 5. We're talking about trusting God in order to fight fear. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind. And do not rely on your own insight or understanding. So this scripture tells us to lead on God, trust in God, rely on God, and don't try to reason it out yourself. Don't think that you have to be able to intellectually figure it all out because that gets in the way of trust. Simply trust God. To be dependent on him. So many times in the world that we live in, it's seen as weakness to be dependent instead of independent. But God's best is to be dependent, to surrender to him and let him take care of us. Not reason it out, not try to intellectually figure it out, but let God help. I even go so far as to say, give up your right to understand. I'm not saying to be, to, to not, you know, know anything because you do need to ask questions and things, but you don't need to research. You don't need to go into huge um, research to figure out everything. Let God help you. Trust him. Trust him. 
when you go into that place of seeking and searching and researching and reasoning, fear escalates. We're talking about how to fight fear. Trust God. Trust God. The third thing here is cast all your cares on God. Turn to 1 Peter, please, chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. We're going to start with verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I want you to notice that it says to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Not over God, not over his hand, but under his hand. When we are in that position of trusting him, we're letting God be God. And we're literally submitting. We're under his hand and we're humbling ourselves. I've got a note in my Bible that I'm going to share with you. It says, humility makes a difference in how much the devil affects you. Humility makes a difference in how much the devil affects you. I'm going to bring that point up again in a minute. So verse 6 says to humble yourself. And then verse 7 says, casting all your care upon him. We're humbling ourselves. Instead of carrying our cares ourselves and fixing it or trying to, we are humbling ourselves under the hand of God and we're casting our cares on him. For he cares for you. I want to read that verse 7, just 7, out of my other translation. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares for you watchfully. That's God. He truly, truly cares. Then the next verse, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Fear is of the enemy. We're talking about fighting fear, fighting against the enemy. Now I need to, I need to stop right now and qualify what I just said. Jesus defeated the enemy. We're just exercising it. We're, he's given us authority. We're exercising our authority. Jesus did the work. We don't have to defeat the enemy. He's already defeated. But when fear attacks, it's illegal. It's oppression. And we need to take a stand. And this is how we do it. Humble yourself. Cast your cares on God. Be sober. Be, be well balanced. Knowing, or because the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Notice it's the word may. It can also be looking at who he may not devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. When you are steadfast in faith, you're resisting the enemy. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Oh, yeah, he's there. How many of you have experienced fear? See, the brotherhood, he's kind of gotten few of us there okay but he didn't win because we know how to overtake fear and if you don't you're gonna after tonight so humble yourself cast your cares on god and resist the enemy okay number two don't allow worry thoughts to say they stay they are not welcome turn to second corinthians 10 so the first point is to trust God, to receive his love, to cast your cares on him and leave them with him, to not try to reason things out on your own, researching and worrying and stirring fear up as you do. That's number one. Number two, when those worried thoughts come, take them captive. Second Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of 
flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Fear is a stronghold. It's an ungodly stronghold. But we're going to talk about a godly stronghold tonight. We're replacing a lie with truth. So God says the weapon that we're fighting isn't a physical weapon. It's a spiritual weapon. This is a spiritual battle. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So this scripture is saying that when there are worried thoughts or fear thoughts, that his best, God's best for us is to refute them. To refute means to prove to be false by evidence. He says to refute those things, to refute that fear, to refute those reasonings, to refute those, those um, false evidence appearing real. That's an acronym for fear. False evidence appearing real to prove it false by evidence what's our evidence okay that would be the final result absolutely this is our evidence god's promises is the truth and that's what we're we're bringing to the to the stand we're saying based on This word of God, just like Tom's friend did, based on this word of God, I stand and believe for healing. Because this is what you said, God, and you love me and you're faithful. Based on this, you refute those fear thoughts. You refute that lie of the enemy. You refute the junk the reasonings that you might be thinking about. Well, what about this? Well, what if? Well, what if? How, you know, refute it. Take those thoughts captive and put your heart on the word. So, and this is what Tom was sharing. When those fearful thoughts come, when you fill your heart, you take those captives and you fill your heart with the truth, then they go away. They go away. And that's what the next scripture is going to say. So turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, starting with verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. God says, don't worry. Don't have fear. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God says, don't worry, pray. Don't worry, come to God, pray. That's what, I, that's what we're doing with this, this thing we're, we're dealing with with our daughter. I'm not going to worry, but boy, I'm going to pray. And thank God, I haven't seen the answer yet, but I'm going to thank God for that answer and his peace, which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And that peace takes the place of the fear. That peace takes the place of the worry. In fact, in my other translation, it says, that peace will garrison and mount guard over your hearts. I love that. It's like a military force around my heart, protecting me. A a Holy Spirit military force around my heart and my mind, protecting me. And then verse 8 Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, is this true? Yeah. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So God's telling us what to do, what to fill our minds with. He says, take captive the junk, take captive the fearful thoughts. And fill it with truth. Fill your head with truth. Fill your thoughts with truth, with good reports. Keep your, literally visualize the good report instead of the bad report. What we tend to do is 
think about the bad report and how it could get worse or worse or worse. That's what the world does. But God says, no, don't do that. Think of my good report. Think about that colon like this man had that had all the junk in it. Think about it. Perfect. That's what happened to Jerry. Jerry had a bladder that had cancer in it. And he came and started hearing this truth. And his bladder, his wife said, and they, they are in agreement, their husband and wife, and they were talking. And she said, that bladder's going to look like a baby's butt. <laughs> and when they took the pre and the post pictures, he didn't have, treat, he didn't have to have the surgery. They were going to remove his bladder and rebuild it with part of his intestine. Because when they did that scoping the second time, his bladder was completely perfect, just like a baby's butt. Amen. She was visualizing the good report. And that's what they saw. So the good report, what is praiseworthy? Meditate on what's praiseworthy. Meditate on God. Meditate on the good things that you've seen in the process. You know, a lot of times before you have the final good report, there are little pieces of of amazing things that God's doing for you on your way. Meditate on that, on that, on what's praiseworthy. So number two, don't allow worry thoughts to say, stay, they are not welcome. Number three, turn to Proverbs 18, please. Be cautious of how you speak. We're talking about fighting fear. Proverbs 18. Verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. We've talked about this concept a lot, but I, when we're talking about fear, this is a big deal. The words that we speak can fuel fear, or the words that we speak can fuel faith. Words of faith cancel out fear, and words of fear cancel out faith. So the words that we speak are very, very important. Um, Romans ten seventeen, the next scripture, says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and that's very true. We've already talked about the God's promises and speaking his promises and filling our heart with his promises. And the reason that we do that, one of the reasons, is because it builds our faith. Our faith is developed as we meditate on his promises of healing. But the opposite is also true. If we meditate on the problem, if we meditate and speak about the problem, then that is what is magnified. That is what takes up residence in our soul. And that's when fear just runs rampant. And the next scripture, we're going through these a little bit quickly because we talked about these last week, is from James. And it talks about doing both. It talks about speaking God's promises, speaking God's word, and speaking the problem. Doing both. And it's not uncommon to speak about both. The problem is when you're voicing fear thoughts and faith thoughts, You're in this position of being double-minded. So let me read this scripture. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I want to clarify, and I know I said this last week, but it's so important I want to say it again. And that is that you can have doubt in your mind with faith in your heart. I don't want you to get into condemnation and say, oh, I'm in doubt because I had a doubtful thought. No, you are not in doubt. The words that you speak are what fuel true doubt. If you speak words of of the bad report and you meditate on it by that means i you talk about it with everybody you turn around you talk about it at work you talk about it with your family you talk about it with all of your family your mom your dad your brothers your sisters your spouse you talk about it and talk about it and talk about it you're fueling the fear 
You might say, oh, I know God's taking care of me and I believe his promises. But if you're talking about all of that negativity, you're being double-minded. However, if you speak God's word primarily and the other pieces you don't voice, now you have to talk to your doctor, absolutely. And you, you need to talk to your spouse, but you don't need to feed and fuel the negativity that fuels fear now i want to go back to my testimony when i had that mass in my neck i was very cautious about speaking the ministry team here can attest to that they didn't know i didn't even tell the ministry team which was a mistake and i am going to go there in a minute i made a mistake i should have because they would have stood in agreement with me i didn't tell my parents I didn't tell any of my family members. I did tell Kent. Fear got the better of me, and eventually I got smart, and I told my spiritual mentor and my pastors, and they prayed with me. And then I told the ministry team very shortly before I had surgery. But I wasn't about to give voice to that. What I did do was I declared God's word a lot. I would literally walk around my house with my Bible proclaiming his word and saying, I have your final report, God. It's right here. And that doctor's final report has to line up with your report. That's all there is to it. I wasn't puny about it either. I was assertive with declaring God's promises. And I did it a lot. I didn't give voice to the problem. I did give voice to the promises of God. So guard your words. Be cautious of how you speak. Number four, get comfortable not knowing. Hebrews 12, would you please turn there with me? Hebrews 12. Get comfortable not knowing. That's a hard place to be. Um, I have a teaching on our website called The Waiting Room Time. And it really goes into depth on this concept. You might be one you want to listen to. I don't think there's a video, but there is an audio of that. And it goes, again, into great depth on this concept. I'm going to start with verse... I'm going to start with verse 1. Therefore, then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance and unnecessary weight and that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that's set before us. So the scripture is saying, be persistent, be steadfast, be, have endurance. And this is how we do that. Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus. Who's the leader and the source of our faith. We're talking about faith and not fear. How to fight fear. And one of the ways that we can do that is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's what Tom is, that's what Tom told his friend. He told him about Jesus. And Jesus is the the first incentive for our belief, and he's also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just think of him. Think of Jesus, who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. Reckon up and consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you may not grow weary or exhausted losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds so god says to keep your eyes on jesus instead of the problem um when we focus on ourselves when we focus on us and our faith and where we're at in believing like tom said again tonight sometimes we make things too difficult 
And we overthink what we are doing in our faith or what we're not doing in our faith. The best is to keep your eyes on Jesus because he's the one that completed the work. It's not about us. The work's already done. So do your best to keep your eyes on the completed work of the cross, the done deal, the paid in full, healed by the stripes of Jesus. Keep your eyes on that. Will you turn to James chapter 1, please? Know that in the midst of that time, there is a whole lot going on in the spiritual realm. There is healing going on that you don't even know about. There is growing going on, Kathy, that you don't even know about. This lady, she's, she's oh, just blessing the heck out of me. Kathy's been coming to illness recovery for a couple months now. She's a new woman. She is absolutely a different person than she was two months ago. In this time that she's been waiting for the final good report, she has had some good reports along the way, but she doesn't have the, the final good report yet. She's tomorrow. Yes, we agree with you, Kathy. <laughs> in the midst, she's been falling in love with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. She received baptism of the Holy Spirit last week. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you guys want to know more about that awesome treasure, just ask any of us. That's what she did. I mentioned it last week. I said, if any of you want to know more, ask. She asked Fran. She called me later in the week. She went to see Pastor Tim and Fran on the weekend. She's seeking, hungry. Oh, my gosh. So this waiting room time, so much is happening. Intense spiritual growth, intense inner healing, amazing stuff is going on. You might not see it. You might not even recognize it in yourself. You may, but you may not. But it's going on. It's happening. And this scripture is one that God gave me when I had that thing in my throat. This is a scripture that he gave me that just I, I held on to believing it with all my heart. And this is what it says, starting with verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, when I was going through that, I had fear attacking me, but I chose to stand in faith. I was growing in faith. And when God showed me the scripture in the middle of that, I said, okay, God, I have a promise right here. And your promise for me is that during this time, I'm going to be growing stronger than ever. That word where it says you may be made perfect and complete, that means to be growing in maturity, to growing deeper in your revelation of his goodness and of the truth of his word, growing up and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. That's exactly what happened to me. Um, oh, somebody that's sitting in the back. Um, Teresa, where are you at? Would you run back and get the Healed for Life book for me, please? Before I was, uh, before I got that lump in my throat, it was, I got that, I was, they found it in January. The December, one month before, they found the mass in my neck. I had been talking to God, and I had told him that I was going to write this book called Healed for Life, and it's about keeping your healing. It had been on my heart for a while, and he had been kind of nudging me to do it, and I hadn't, I didn't want to talk to him about it because I didn't want to commit. <laughs> but in December, I did. In December, I said, okay, God, I will do that. I had no idea what I was going to put in this book. I just knew that it was hurting my heart when I saw people who received healing and then lost their healing. And I knew if it hurt my heart, it had to really hurt God's heart. So I said, okay, I'm going to write this book about how to keep your healing. And then in January, they found a mass in my neck. Think that's not the devil? Yeah. Saying, Cindy, you know, you just told God you're going to write a book about keeping your healing. I'll show you. You know, I'm going to steal your healing or I'm going to try anyway. So through that season, I stood on the scripture in James saying, God, you're doing some good work. I know you're doing some good work. 
I, I did everything I already told you about um, immersing myself in his love and speaking his word and not the lie. And six months later, I got a good report. It was a six-month waiting room time. And six months later, I did have surgery. I did have a thyroid thing that they took care of. And I got the report that there was no cancer in my neck. And I am whole and healthy and big-time whole and healthy. But let me tell you what happened. All through that season, everything that God had been building up and growing in me and firming up in my heart is in this book. So what the enemy intended for destruction was turned around, was turned around for God's glory and for good because that's how God is. That's how our God is. So um, the next slide talks a little bit about that inward stuff that's going on. This is a quote from a book called The Real Faith for Healing, and I love it. It says that change externally is of necessity often superseded by change internally transformed by his spirit in the inner person before the manifestation of the transformation is seen in the outer person so there's a whole lot going on internally and go to the next slide as well often people are looking for the manifestation of god's healing power from the outside in they want healed. They want that good report. But his power operates from the inside out. So the next piece here says practical tips. So during that waiting room time, what are you doing? What are you filling your time with? Um, it's a big deal. What you fill your time with is a big deal. I always use for my teacher's pet example <laughs> Yvonne Yvonne raise your hand Yvonne had had was diagnosed with breast cancer a few years back and oh my gosh she is so healed it's crazy she is amazingly strong and healthy and whole but during that time fear attacked her and fear attacked her and fear attacked her and she learned through experience that she could not give way to that fear um, I love one of the, way, one of the um, times she was telling me the story. She said, I spent so much time fighting the enemy. I spent so much time speaking against him and saying, get out, get out, get out, get out. And then I realized that I was giving the enemy more time than I was giving God. So she switched. And instead of filling her time doing that or with idle things, which we're going to talk about in a minute, she found a really excellent teacher and her favorite was Ad andrew womack she downloaded his free podcast and she put those ears she put them on her ipad put the earbuds in her ears and spent six to eight hours a day listening to teaching so what are you doing in your waiting room time one of the things i'm just going to point blank say is that tv is dangerous idle tv is dangerous there is good stuff on tv but if you want to know some good stuff look at the resource list that's on the second page here we put together a, a simple resource list, and we can add more to it. But there are good things to watch on TV. There's good websites where you can get podcasts for free. There's good books. There's all sorts of stuff on there that is good to fill your time with. TV, idle TV, can be very dangerous. So that's number four. Number five, don't tolerate fear. Fight it. Please go to James 4. We're also in the book. We're already in James. So turn to chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Therefore, submit to God. That is humility. Humility makes a difference how much the devil affects you. When you are in a place of humility to God, submissive to God, the enemy has no power over you. God says, when you're humble, I will exalt you. Humility means submission 
to him, being under the mighty hand of God, not over it. Sometimes we are pretty strong and boisterous and we try to take over. God says, no, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves to me. There's two directions here and then a promise. He says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Sometimes you might need help with that. I had a, uh, somebody at Big Rapids ask me a really good question. And her question was, when do I know when I should call somebody? I said, if you're questioning whether you should call somebody, call somebody. <laughs> so that mentor list that we had back there, take one with you. And if fear is attacking you, call somebody. Right, Beth? Yes. Yes, Beth called me a couple weeks ago, and her husband had been saying, call Cindy, call Cindy, call Cindy. And she didn't listen. And then she finally listened, and we went, we got, sometimes you need somebody. In fact, I think I mentioned that last week. There are times, the, the stuff that's in front of you is so big. Yes, you trust God. Yes, you know his promises. But the symptoms or whatever it is that you're dealing with is so big. You need help. And that's okay. That's what the body of Christ is for. So call somebody. And that leads me right to the next point. Number six, which is to surround yourself with like-minded believers who will stand in faith with you. Boy, is that important. That's why this group here is such a powerful group. You might come in weak. You walk out strong. When you call somebody, you might be feeling really weak. But then when we pray with you and stand in agreement with you, you feel edified and built up and ready to move ahead with joy in your heart and faith in jesus so it's important to surround yourself with like-minded believers will you turn with me to matthew 18 this is our last scripture for tonight matthew 18 starting with verse 19 Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, make a symphony together about whatever, anything and everything they may ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. Before I go on, I just want to just stop here for a second. It says, when we're in harmony, not dissonance, harmony means we are, it, it, it melds together, we are in agreement. The prayer of agreement needs to be in agreement in other words, make sure the person that's praying for you believes that Jesus is the healer, believes that it is his will to heal, believes that healing is for today, believes that nothing is impossible with God. And if they don't, don't ask them to pray with you. Don't let them pray with you. I'm picky about who I allow to lay hands on me and pray. They have to believe. They have to agree. So that's the first part. And then verse 20. For wherever two or three are gathered, drawn together as my followers in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There I am in the midst of them. The word I am, the name I am, is one of the names of Jesus. The great I am. In my um, Bible, the, it's all caps. The M is also capital. There I am in the midst of them. The name for God, I am, a better translation is I am that. Oh, I love this. Every time I share this, I just get just overwhelmed with awe. For wherever two or three are gathered in my name together as my followers in my name, there I am that in the midst of them. So whatever it is that you're agreeing about, if you're believing for healing, he is that. He is your healer in the midst. If you're praying for a financial breakthrough, he is that. He's your provider in the midst. If you're praying to fight fear and to receive peace, he is that peace in the midst if you're praying against pain and you're agreeing that that pain has to go, he is that who carried your pain in the midst of you. 
It's powerful. The prayer of agreement is powerful. It's so powerful. But you need somebody with you to agree. And it's important that you're, you're praying out loud. Um, so you, need, you can do it via phone. There's no distance in the spirit. You can pray in agreement over the phone. You can pray in agreement here. We're going to get ready in about two minutes to be available to pray in agreement with you. It's a powerful prayer. You need like-minded believers to agree with you. It's even very important, I believe, and I had this, to have a, a specific person that you're connected with. If you don't have a person that you can call, that you feel comfortable calling, talk to us. Talk to the ministry team, and we'll match you up with somebody. You may already have a friend. I know some of you come with somebody that's, um, that's your, your prayer partner. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your good friend. But you need somebody. I had Jenny. That was my prayer partner. My husband is my best friend. But Kent and I were babies. We were just learning. I needed somebody who, was a, who could mentor me. And Jenny was that person. She was the person that mentored me through this. Okay, um, my last point, and it's not even on your sheet, and I'm not going to even read a scripture, but I'm just going to put this out there because it's so important. Number seven, how to fight fear. Praise and worship God. He inhabits our praises. The enemy cannot be in the midst of praise and worship. You might enter into praise in fear, and when you lift your voice to God and start praising Him and acknowledging His greatness, that problem gets small, it's minimized, and it leaves. So that is another important tool in fighting fear, and that's another tool that I used when I had the mass in my neck. I'd put on that praise music, and I'd start praising God with all my heart, and I still do. Praising God is good to do as a part of your lifestyle and your relationship with God. But it is a powerful way to fight fear as well. So right now, on this little sheet of paper, you have a lot of tools to use if fear attacks you. Okay. Father God, we close this evening right now by acknowledging your greatness, by acknowledging your love, by acknowledging your completed work. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for everything that you have for us. Thank you that you are our invincible army. You are our bravery. You never leave us nor forsake us. You are taking care of every detail, every breath, every step of the way. We thank you for what you're doing that we don't even see. We thank you for growing us up spiritually. We thank you that the union and communion with you, the consummation of our love with you gives birth to faith. We thank you, God. You are amazing beyond words. I thank you that fear cannot exist. It has no power over us because we have you and you have defeated the enemy once and for all. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.